Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I also have to just say, because this is my one Maureen story. So I, there's a honking noise that I do. It's one of my stupid human skills. What? I will try to do it here so that you can, hopefully it will happen. Yeah. Honk, honk, honk. So that's my stupid <laughs> human skill. And I used to do it. And now what inevitably happens if I ever do that around people is they're, they start to try to do it. And you're like, oh, oh they yeah, go I like, can't ah. do it. Maureen tried for a year to do it. Um, and I would hear her because we would hear her, you know, warming up in her dressing room, which is so glorious and beautiful. And sometimes I would just hear her going like, <laughs> and I was like, I can do something with my voice that Maureen McGovern can't do. It's like, I think Maureen McGovern's trying to honk. She's trying to honk. She's in her dressing room trying to honk. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Now, earlier this month, we covered the musical Little Me, and today we are discussing the musical Little Women, which has been a request by several of you wonderful listeners, and most recently by Jacob, who wrote, quote, One of my all-time favorite shows I've ever been a part of is Little Women. While it has some adaptation issues, it is a lovely take on a literary classic. It has a great score, holds some beloved powerhouse female characters, and the story shares relatable messages of life, loss, and love. Well, Jacob, I agree with pretty much everything you said, and I'm so happy you wrote to us. Here to talk with me about this lovely take on a literary classic is one of the stars of the OG national tour of Little Women, where she played the sister everyone loves to hate. That's right. We're talking about Miss Amy March. Everyone, please welcome to the podcast, Gwen Hollander. Hi. Hi, podcast. Hey, hey, podcast. (laughs) Hey, podcast people. Isn't it funny how all of us podcasters refer to our podcast as though it's the only podcast that exists? No one's ever heard of a podcast until just now. Until just now. And you are on the (laughs) podcast. The only podcast. (laughs) Ridiculous. How are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat because this feels like such a huge formative part of my life, Little Women, that I kind of forget happened sometimes because it was so long ago, but it was so hugely monumental for me, like 
at the time and like in the course of my life. Okay, can we just <laughs> dive in and may I ask why? Well, I think it's the age that I was at the time. I mean, it was my first big job of that magnitude. I had toured a little bit before, but it was my first time like doing a full year of a tour. Mm -hmm. And it is a really special story. And I think, you know, the bond that was formed with those with the girls I was on the road with who will be lifelong friends of mine. I'm I'm so grateful for that time, which was also, you know, highly dramatic. You know, it's it's a lot. Touring is a lot. And the show is not easy. And it was not easy for me. And I definitely, you know, I learned so much as an actor Mm. doing a show for a long run. And I learned so much about like playing a character that I sometimes battled with liking. (laughs) That was also really hard for me. For sure. Um, As a people pleaser to be like, (laughs) uh, I I don't like her. And like, I wanted the audience to like her. So the integrity of like, well, she does some unlikable things and you have to be okay character, And it's not you. Yes. Um, But I did also learn so much about, I would have friends in the audience who would have people around them who I guess also were the youngest and who were would say like during the show, they're like, oh, I so I relate to that. I relate to that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I have that line during my meltdown where I'm like, I want something that's mine. And people would be like, oh, yeah, I remember that feeling. That's that youngest feeling for sure. Yeah. Oh, I have. OK, so I have like 13 nieces and nephews. There's just so many children. And um, my youngest sister has her youngest, who is much younger than than his brothers. Mm -hmm. And currently, he doesn't, even though he's like two or three, he doesn't have his own toys. Everything that he plays with is like a pretend version of something he's seen an adult have. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And like, that's just being the youngest, right? He has his dome which is his phone yeah. but it's not a phone but it's right. but like he can sniff out if it's a play phone he doesn't want one of those because that's not right. what the adults have right so like 100 percent relatable yeah. content right absolutely and i think you know it's still today i can't i mean i'm sure you're like i i'm wearing all these hand-me-down clothes i'm watching my older siblings do these things that i don't get to do and i think that's kind of what helped me find her at a certain point is to be like, no, I, I kept, you know, being afraid of her being the villain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but when you can really see where her actions stem from and why she behaves the way she does, you can find some like compassion for her. And as somebody who is an older sibling to the youngest, we are the most protective of them. Yes. Yes, for sure. All right, question about touring with this show. I'm so curious to hear what your experience was like with audiences because number one, this is a quiet show, right? Yes. It's a little, it's more simple than say a Wicked or yes. you know something that we think of as a big touring type experience. Yeah. What were the audiences mm-hmm. like? What was the energy in the show? Which I also can imagine was very feminine in a much more complex way than we usually were use that word. You had a yeah. female director. So yeah. what did that all feel like? Um, and it, again, because this was my first, like, I, oh, it's sure. so hard to, to have context. To. Yeah, nothing yeah, yeah, to compare yeah. to. I mean, I do in retrospect, but um, the audiences I found to be, if they decide, if you bought tickets to see Little Women, you knew what you were in for. So you were mm. going to have a great time. You know, I, I think if anything, maybe we struggled But I don't remember us not selling. I think we Mm. always sold pretty well in certain areas of the country, probably better than others. But if you went to Little Women, I think you knew what you were going to watch. What's so funny is in the very beginning of the tour, 
uh, which, by the way, we got delayed because our there was a fire. Uh, they had loaded. A fire I mean, within this is a whole you? Story. There was a fire within the theater <laughs> and all of us. Um, we found out. Uh, I'll, this is a quick side note. We found out on our last day of rehearsal in New York. They, they like gathered us for a company meeting and we're like, oh, no. And they're like, so all of our stuff was loaded into the Globe in San Diego and there was a fire. And they were still kind of figuring out the, you know, assessing the damage. So there was a lot of damage. It was less because of the fire and more because of the sprinkler system. Oh, shoot. So right. a lot of our um, scenery, like our, they call they kept saying our soft goods. So like our drops and stuff like that were damaged. Fortunately, the costumes hadn't been loaded in because I think that might have been a deal breaker because those costumes are super expensive and gorgeous and right. special. Um, but a lot of our drops and stuff were damaged. So um, this amazing thing happened where all of these shops, every shop in the country kind of just started coming to the rescue of Little Women and like either rebuilding our stuff or sending us um, drops that could work. So for our like first week of previews, we had like a drop from Oklahoma in the back. So like the show was like in a cor- like our outdoor scene was like in a cornfield, which is so not which appropriate. But it was not like Concord, Massachusetts. Well, it's outdoors sure. and it looks pretty so we didn't get like our real drops back for a while wow but, um yeah and wild. we were just rehearsing in um a ballroom in san diego for a week everything got delayed so we started with a real bang <laughs> but in our next city we had this thing like we had like three days where during the day they had us sit in a hotel like boardroom with a press person like a publicity person to kind of train us media training we love media training media training but it was they were trying very specifically to lean into the they almost wanted us to to find ways to convince people that it wasn't just for women oh interesting yes it was an interesting take i think they wanted us to be like no boys will like it too there's a sword fight (laughs) you know they were telling us like how can we lean into and i and i remember thinking at the time this show is for everybody. It's about family and relationships. Jacob so was the one I, who requested it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and at the time we didn't know that. I think this was a time where they very much leaned heavily into like, you know, Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a great time to go see little women. And and they were, but they were like, how can we appeal to boys? And so it was funny to be like, oh, there's a sword fight. And I'm like, there's not really a sword fight. There's like two people with swords and they go like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but it's not, that's not going to get like five, you know, seven-year-old boys to be like, I want to go see little women. Exactly. So I think the key to all of it is just knowing that it's a human story. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of men got dragged by their wives or their girlfriends or whatever. And once you're there, you're going to enjoy it. Sure. Because there's something for everyone to relate to. I don't know if I answered your question. Absolutely. I certainly ran circles around it. No, it it actually (laughs) took me to a really interesting thing that I've been thinking about, which is that this show comes about, well, look, like selling tickets to theater has always been like the great thorn in the equation of how to keep this art form going. How do we get people to show up to the theater? And for the longest time and this kind of goes back to our last show that we talked about, Little Me, it was always about, like, what can we do to get straight men to bring their wives to the theater? Yes, right? exactly. Because they're the ones who are buying tickets. Exactly. So the elusive white straight male was the ticket buyer that yeah, everybody like the wanted. the white whale. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. Moby Dick. And then, like, Wicked comes around. Yes. And all of a sudden, the audience is really made up of moms and daughters. And producers were like, what? I know. Right? 
they had like had no idea that this was even possible. So then come this little tidal wave of musicals that are also trying to cash in on that wicked audience. And Little Women is definitely one of them because the fact that it was on Broadway is quite an achievement in my estimations. It feels more like an off-Broadway show. But I'm glad that it had a a Broadway run because, you know, it's so much more well-known because of it. Um, So I think that the producers, once again, were trying to get those, uh, those theater goers and then they didn't. Right. Then it didn't run as long as they hoped it would. It didn't become a wicked. So now cut to you in that ballroom and they're like, "Uh, we need boys. We need lots and lots of boys. (laughs) It's a really interesting thing that we're always like trying to walk that tightrope. Find the in for sure. And that's the thing is I totally got what we were doing. And And I'm so glad we had that media training. And because I think inevitably a question will be like, you know, who's the audience for this? And like, mm-hmm. is this only a show for girls? It says little women in the title, you know? It's, a, so, you're, it's already an uphill battle. Yeah. But I don't know. I think in the end, at least on tour, you have built-in audiences on tour. It's different from Broadway. So I think Fair in enough. the end, it was just less of a concern. When a show comes to town, people go see the show. Yeah. Um, in Broadway, you go to New York and you're like, oh, I have a mm-hmm. choice of these shows. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, talk to me about the dynamic of your cast. Did you find that people fell into their roles a little bit? You know what? Kind of. In some ways, we did. Like, I would say Renee, who played Meg, I do definitely feel like Renee had kind of a, a she's definitely a caretaker, mm-hmm. very mature. Young, I think the youngest of all of us, actually, which is really? funny. Meg was the youngest. Yeah, but definitely I felt was the most mature sometimes. <laughs> or more than me. Like, she just felt like she really had her act together. And I, I, I used to room with her a lot. And I was always like, I feel like Renee's taking care of me. She's making sure I eat. Um, she, like, she was the she was the one that, like, traveled with a hot plate and made all her own meals in the hotel. And I was like, Atta look girl. at you. She's got it together. Um, Autumn also was very uh, – Autumn had a, a maternal thing going on, too. And then we had, like, such a parade of Joes because – Really? Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of knee problems in this show. Knee problems? Um, yeah. Yes, because we learned – so it's a lot of stairs, a lot of running up and down the stairs. And the shoes that we wore were actual, like, Amish work boots. Like, they were Woof. built for us, but they were, like – Boots. They were serious boots, and I don't. They, I don't know that they were made for like dancing or repetitive motion like that. So Autumn had already had knee problems. Autumn ended up having to have knee surgery halfway through the tour, uh, and then our Joe. Katie Fisher also started having knee problems, so she had to like take a leave of absence. They brought out Julie Foldesai, who's also very, who was a very good friend of mine. It was so good to have her out there for a while. And so she was alternating with our understudy, Susan Spencer, and it was like a parade of Joes. We had so many Joes. Um, I actually, and I'm sure I'll get into this at some point. One of the things I did, I write song parodies and Towards the end of the run, I wrote parodies of every single song in the show. Oh my gosh. Um, to, to play, I mean, little short snippets, but to sing at the closing party. And for um, Astonishing, it was like, I don't know who's playing Joe tonight. <laughs> like, because it was just like, you don't ever know who's going to be out there. And sometimes <laughs> one of our swings was, uh, well, now it's Carrie McAllister. So I'm like, her, her maiden name was Carrie 
I can't even remember, Carrie Miller. Um, and she's tiny, so she's littler than me. So when I would play Amy with Carrie, I felt like, Big sister, you're like, oh, I God, felt insane because I would come out in the beginning and I was like, Joe, the girls at school were horrible to me. You're so small. Um, so we really did like have such a fun alternating dynamic with that too because whoever's playing, I mean, that changes everything. And all the Joes were so different in oh, every way, vocally, physically, their approach to the role. And so that changes everything. And that kept things very exciting. How cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, speaking of A Parade of Joes, this show, <laughs> I mean, on the podcast, I'm, I say every every episode, we're discussing the cultural and emotional impact of these stories, right? And the, the yeah. novel Little Women has been adapted so many times so many people yeah. have played joe i think there were two silent films mm-hmm. then and then in terms of talkies we've had yeah, talkies. we've had four i think i think so cuz elizabeth was elizabeth taylor joe or no, no that she, version she, she was, was i think she was meg yeah. right meg she was meg and that was the second one because the Catherine hepburn one Catherine was hepburn. before that Right. Then we got the Winona Ryder, which I know like the back of my hand. And then this, yes, me too. this last one, which I just thought was mm-hmm. stunning, beautiful, perfect film. And then on top of that, then you've got all of the straight play versions, which, mm-hmm. you know, started coming up pretty early. And then the musical. So the cultural footprint of this story itself is enormous. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the woman behind that all. Her name is Louisa May Alcott. You may have heard of her. She was born in 1832. Did you all know that this book was that old? I hope so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She was born into this kind of transcendental household, right? Like the hippies of their day. And so much of her life is what becomes little women. She she has these hippy dippy parents who who believe in uh educating their daughters, but then at the same time they don't really have a lot of income, a lot of solid income coming into their family and so the education that she does get is very stop and go. She can sometimes go to school, she can some she sometimes doesn't. She starts working as a domestic and then ultimately like tries to get her her writing career going. When she moves to New York, she tries to get her stories published and all of these stories are about revenge and passion, very quote unquote unladylike things. She does end up getting a publisher because her stories are being featured in, uh, in magazines and, and such, but the publisher asks her, to write a story for young women, which she balks at and doesn't really want to do. But she ends up pulling from her story with her sisters growing up in her home. Just to please the publisher, she writes Little Women. He likes it. It gets published. She really doesn't expect anything from it. And then it literally becomes a phenomenon. Everybody loves it, which is pretty interesting given how forward-thinking it was, how progressive it was for the time. But everybody loves it. And it becomes the the book that she's most well-known for. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Did you read the book when you were younger? I did not. Um, I did, actually. I read it when I was very young. I was first introduced to it. I used to compete in Odyssey of the Mind, which I don't even what know if people that? know. So I know it sounds so crazy. It's a creative problem-solving competition. And I did it all through all of my, I did it all the way up until, like, 10th grade. Um, but my one of my second, I think my second year doing it, 
it's so hard to explain, but there's a, a performance component to it where you oh. write and perform a uh, thing. And we did ours based on Little Women. And I played Beth in that one because I used to think I connected most to Beth because I played the piano and I think I I fancied my I was like oh I'm very delicate and which I'm not I'm so nice (laughs) yeah um I'm not that but I mean no I'm not saying I'm not sweet I just I'm not a by any like there's nothing shy fair (laughs) enough um so I read it when I was very young and then I actually tried to read it again while we were doing the show and it was hard for me to read while we were doing the show. And I don't know why I think it was, uh, it felt like it was interfering. I was like, I, I think I need to not yeah. read this right now. That but yes, I me. was familiar with it as a kid. I loved it. I loved that Winona Ryder movie so much. Mm-hmm. I think it's devastating. And I actually haven't seen the newest one because I know I'm sh- I'm still shocked because I think I wanted to see it, you know, I'm in L.A. and at the time, Renee, who played Meg on our tour, was also in L.A. And I think we were going to see it together because we were like, how special would it be to see it together? And then that didn't happen. And then I almost got too nervous to see it. It's so special. to there, And I'm like that with a couple things. Like the story is so special to me mm-hmm. that I got scared of like, I, not not that I thought they were going to mess it up because I heard it's beautiful. Right. But I think I got scared of like, I felt very, I was feeling very raw at that time. And I was like, I don't think I can handle it. And then I just never saw it. And now at this point, I, I need to just see it. <laughs> um, because. <laughs> need to hunker down and watch that thing. And just watch it. Yeah. While liberties were taken, it is all nuance. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with liberties being taken. Like the one I've seen clips, and I saw the clip of like Amy's monologue about you know why shouldn't I want a job and why shouldn't I want to provide for myself? And I was like, that's amazing, and that's a great take. Like as as someone who struggled with Amy's Amy, motivations, yeah. I was like, that's a great way of looking at that. She is actually very forward thinking in terms of like I should I want to be able to to care for myself and I want to have the means to be independent and you know, Absolutely. live my best life. And they all came from the same house. No matter who Amy was when she was really little, yeah, she's going to grow up to be a woman who was raised in that house. Yeah, she's Marmy's daughter. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Much yeah. better put than I <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then so now the musical comes out. Did you know about it? Had you heard it before you auditioned for it? So that's the other thing. I was incredibly close with Jason Howland and Danny Davis, who um, uh, was she was a producer and they were the driving force, you know, behind moving it forward. So I was taking a class that they taught and I was like babysitting for their kids. So I was around. Um, I auditioned for it for the first time before it even had a workshop like they, they did like a workshop thing at Duke and I auditioned for it way back then. And I mean, I was very new to the city and I was still new to auditioning. And I remember being like, this is a big deal. And I, you know, I did my best, but there was no way I was going to get that. (laughs) Um, And so I was, I was very much around during the entire development of it. Okay. So Um, anything you can give me there? Let's talk about Jason Howland first, who was the the composer, who is the composer, excuse me. He's a well-known music director. Yes. Uh, won a Grammy Award for Beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. Mm-hmm. So very successful guy. This is one of the only big musicals that he's composed from scratch. Yes, although I think there's a new, yeah, there's a new one opening, Paradise Square, I think it's called. Oh, cool. There's a new musical opening on Broadway that I believe he composed. Um, yeah, this was a very big deal for him to like make his debut on Broadway like that with this Absolutely. music. Absolutely. 
And because I, I guess I know him because he was my teacher more almost as a music director. And I think he has such a wonderful understanding of um, all of that and how, you know, interpretation of a song and what, oh my God, but I will say, I mean, the, that opening chord of Little Women, that da na 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 gets me, like I have a visceral response to that. He's he knows, pretty amazing at motif. Yes. He knows when to introduce that he he knows where to put it where it's going to hit you in your body mm. i mean there are moments in that show that just take your breath away musically and then because that moment in fire within me when she yanks the drop cloth off the window and the stage floods with light and it's on that sting she pulls it off and it's like and i'm like oh you can't I mean, it's full body perfection. chills as you're saying. Yeah, full it right body now. chills. It's so beautiful. He knows what he's doing, that guy. That's cool. How- yeah. And I remember the evolution also of the end of Astonishing. I feel like there was a time when it ended up on that uh, Astonishing, where that was actually the end of the song, is oh. like that E flat on an ing vowel. And I think they were like, we can't do that. That's not how you end act one. <laughs> that poor, poor woman. Yeah. And, you know, how many ways can you modify the vowel in Astonishing? You know, I've heard Astonishaw, Astonishing. Yeah, there's so, you know, and they were like, no, we got to add, it's got to end at last. At <laughs> last, a, a happier, A happier note and a happier vowel. <laughs> um, so figure out I mean, speaking of too. cultural footprint, who knew that one of the greatest things to come from the show would be the YouTube of a bunch of, of girls yelling Christopher Columbus? It's so funny. It is so funny. It's pretty incredible. Oh, if you haven't watched yeah. it, listeners, please go and uh, and watch Christopher Columbus, Little Women. It's so funny. Um, okay. When I first took in this show, it was via CD. Mm-hmm. Got my little CD booklet right oh, here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I first listened to it, I was surprised at how poppy it sounded to me. Now... Mm-hmm. I feel that I have now redacted, is that the right word? You retracted. Retracted, sure, thank you. I have (laughs) retracted that thought. I don't think that it is is as poppy as I thought it would be, maybe because musical theater has become even more poppy since then. Yes, yes. But I will say that I think the thing that I was picking up on is that this this is a very straightforward adaptation in terms of the thoughts that are coming out. Sondheim just passed and and you'll look at his song and there will be like 16,000 different things going on in the character. With these songs, there's usually just one thing going on with the character. Yes. And that's great. There's there's room for that in theater. Yeah. I will also say that in general, musical theater has the curse of act two, where (laughs) act one is great. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with act two? And I think Little Women is one of the few instances in where I actually love Act 2 even more than Act 1. The musical moments in Act 2 are my favorite in the entire show. I'm trying to even remember, like, I'm trying to picture Act (laughs) 2. Like, what happens in Act (laughs) 2? I know I go off and become a grown-up in Act 2. Sure. Like, I'm, yeah, Act 1 was my super hard act. Mm. Um, I mean, Act 2, of course, has some things are meant to be, has fire within me, has days of plenty. Yeah. Has um, I mean, yeah, I mean I feel, all of them. And granted, it, it, those things wouldn't land if all of the work hadn't been done in Act One to of you know course. set us up emotionally. But like For those sure. things hit so hard that I actively look forward to Act Two of Little Women, which then brings me to I enjoy this score even more in the theater than I do on the CD. Yeah, 
it I think plays that that's fair, really sure. well in the theater. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, speaking to what you're saying is that the songs really the most beautiful part of the songs is how they serve the story, the, you know, the story. Yeah. So as as fun as the music is to sing and, you know, as much as we can enjoy it on that level, I do for sure think that you want the emotional through line of the show to really appreciate the songs. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. Can we talk through some of these songs as we go through the show? Yeah. All right. So this whole musical begins, Little Women's Always Playing With Time. I feel like every time there's an adaptation, there's like, how do we present this in terms of chronology? Yes. Because yes. One... Do we want a flashback? Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. Because one of the things that Louisa May Alcott did that really revolutionized the entire genre of like young women's literature, if that's even what mm. we want to call it, is mm-hmm. that she did not play into the adolescent fantasy of Joe Ends Up With Laurie. Right. Which yeah. is the thing that hurts the most for me. Yeah. And also I have to be willing to say that's an incredibly brave choice. It's revolutionary. Revolutionary. So knowing that that is like a sticky point for all audiences, I love that the musical begins with us seeing Joe and Professor, is it Bear? Is that how you say his name? Bear, Yeah. Together, because like right from the get go, I need my eyes to see them together and understand that they work well together. Right. So that at the end, it feels a little less insulting. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, a little bit less of a slap in the face. Exactly. Exactly. So the show opens with Joe already in New York City. She has moved there from her childhood home of Concord, Massachusetts. She's trying to become a writer. She's taken work as a... um, like yeah, a governess, she, like a Mary Poppins? Yeah, she's a governess. Yeah, yeah I think she is. Yeah, I think she's a governess, yeah. I think. Yeah. Like a Maria Von Trapp. Yes. Uh, for, at this, like, boarding house. She lives there. She's also doing her writing. Also staying there is this Professor Bear guy. He uh, gets a kick. I love this Professor Bear guy. This Professor Bear guy. I struggle, Gwen. I'm telling you. I really have to fight my inner adolescent with this know, entire storyline. Um And he is just kind of the nicest guy in the world and really creates space for Joe, who is a force of nature. Yeah. She's a bull in a china shop for sure. Yeah. I mean, she literally, I think, breaks them, like knocks things over in that first scene. (laughs) (laughs) Literally just knocking things over. Yeah. That's amazing. She, like Miss uh, Louisa May, is trying to sell these stories that have a lot to do with blood and adventure. One of the great textures, I think, of the score is that we get to witness so much of that energy coming out of her as an artist. She wants so Mm -hmm. badly for everyone to love these stories as much as she does. And they're always being acted out on stage by her troupe of players, which from her childhood has always been her sister's. Right. I mean, I have goosebumps now. It really is such a great device. It's so sweet. It is. It's really, really wonderful. So let's talk about those sisters. We got the oldest, who is Meg, who Mm -hmm. we've who we said is like the nurturing type. She's Mm -hmm. the most mature. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, maybe the most interested in getting married and following the rules. She's the most traditional. Traditional. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Next up is Joe, who's coming in strong with her opinions and and desires for the world. Very independent. Number three, we got Beth. How would you describe Beth? We've already talked about her a little bit. She's sweet. I think Beth is pure Pure. I think she's pure love and she's probably, it almost feels like all of the, she's like the negative, not negative in a bad way, but negative when I talk, like in photography, like the inverse of Joe. I feel like as much as Joe is like, 
get it, get it. Everything that's ambitious about Joe, uh, Beth would be content to just be home with her sisters. I don't think there's ambition there. There's just love. And it's almost like everything that went into Joe, all the fire that went into Joe, there wasn't any left for Beth. So she doesn't have any fire for herself in that way. Yeah. I think she, she feels like another, like a limb of Joe's, like she's like Joe's heart or something. And then there's Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's Amy. No, we love Amy. Um, We also, I, I, I gotta say, and I'm gonna try to like keep my crying to a minimum. One of the traditions on this podcast is that I lose my crap regularly <laughs> when talking about these stories. The thing about Beth is that she passes away, spoiler alert. And yeah. have you ever had somebody in your life or even just heard of somebody who has passed and you realize that it's almost as though they knew because the way that they lived proved it to you? Does that make sense? So I'm gonna get a little dark. For a second. Please. Um, I'm not going to, I probably won't cry only because uh, I'm medicated, but also because <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk about this a lot. But so um, my mom passed away uh, 10 years ago. Oh, so and sorry. my mom, thank you. My mom loved, loved, I mean, she loved seeing me and I think, but she loved seeing me in Little Women. So she got, mm-hmm. you know, she came to, she came out on the tour like six different times. My mom would, we had a treadmill in our house and she would walk on the treadmill and listen to the CD in her headphones. I mean, she loved it so much. And my mom reminded me of Beth because my mom, uh, she had been sick. She had cancer for the first time when I was young. Uh, So I kind of always thought of her as being this very fragile, angelic presence that we were lucky to have. And I kind of always knew that it was going to be a little effect. I just, you, I just grew up knowing that I wasn't going to have her forever. And she was my Beth. And um, when she died, you know, she was in hospice. And I, at one point, um, my sister-in-law's mom was like, do you think she'd like to hear you sing? And I was like, I don't know. Um, And she was like, I think you should sing to her. And I laid in the bed with her in hospice and I sang some things are meant to be to her. And I know, again, I feel weird that I'm unmoved and talking about it. Um, but it's just that's also my defense, oh, of you know, course. mechanism in talking about it. Protect but, yourself um, by all means. Yeah, and that's the song in the show where I'm in the wings and I'm about to enter, and that's my big emotional scene. So I watched that song every night, and every night I would try all these different things of like trying to personalize it, and and then it actually became highly personal for me. Wow. Um. So yeah, that I understand very much, and that's why that that relationship in the show feels very real. And yeah, there is, do they say this in the show that like, yeah, Beth is just, she's almost too precious for the earth. For the earth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, we don't deserve this. Mm -hmm. So we got it for this. She already got it all figured out. Yeah. She, 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 she's lived before. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She was so wise and so precious and we got her for the amount of time that we did. Um, and I, I, I also really thought that Winona Ryder movie captures that so beautifully. That Claire Danes Claire scene Danes, is just, man. oh my God, Claire Danes crying. She just got that, she's got that full body, like ugly cry that I love so much. Um, and that scene is just, <laughs> oh, that scene is just so devastating. And there was a time when in some things are meant to be, you know, at the end, Beth says, let me go now. Mm-hmm. But I think it used to be, please be happy. She would say, please oh. be happy, which I also love. Yeah. Um, I love both. Wow. Um, 
But man, that song is killer. The lyrics in that song are just so I don't special. Know, yeah, so special, so beautiful. And I think that you know when I was talking about <clears throat> how so often the the perspective in these songs is very singular and very direct. When it comes to a song like that, and see now I'm all getting it out. <laughs> <laughs> and the character that that's pure, that's that pure, that mm-hmm. style of songwriting is just perfection. Like yeah. it, it's just such a perfect match for for yeah. the type of character and performance. Yeah. Uh, okay, pull it together, Parsons. We haven't even started. <laughs> so the feedback that Joe gets on on her, uh, you know blood and gut story is not great and (laughs) and of course she's very defensive about it but in kind of exploring when in her life is she her best self she starts to like think back on on being at home with her sisters and we we meet these women we go back to christmas happy holidays everybody Mm -hmm. and we start to see this entire dynamic of the family now the person we haven't talked about is their mom marmy uh, who is in her own right a revolutionary woman. Yes. She's raising these women, uh, these little women, on her own because her husband is enlisted in the Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Marmy was originally played on Broadway by Maureen McGovern, and mm-hmm. she was also, she reprised her role with you all on mm-hmm. the tour, yeah. correct? Yes, yes. Now, this woman's voice. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't drink wine, but like... It's like a fine wine. Like, it gets better and better and better. I don't she's, understand. It's- she's magic, and she's... I think because she comes from the recording world, she sounds the same every time. Ugh. Like, she sounds the same. It's almost alarming where you're like, are you real? Um, I remember <laughs> there was one time... Because she also never missed a show. I mean, she's just... It's incredible. There, I think it was like, we were almost done with the tour. I think we were at the Kennedy Center and she was sick and she was like, I think I can do it anyway. And, you know, we're all in our dressing rooms just doing our own thing. And I think during Days of Plenty, like there was a, a hiccup of some kind. I don't oh. even think it was a crack, but right. like something happened. And we all, no one, we weren't paying attention to the monitors usually, but you know, that yeah. snaps you out. And we all kind of opened our dressing room doors and looked at each other in the hall. And we were like, what just happened? Right? Is like the world going to stop spinning? <laughs> she sounds exactly the same and perfect every time. And she still sounded beautiful, but like yeah. there was something happened. Um, and we were, we were so amazed. And then we were like, she's human. Well, um, but yeah, her voice, I mean, they call it, she's known as the Stradivarius voice. Interesting. Um, I forget who said that about her, but it's like a quote about Maureen McGovern because her voice sounds like an instrument. It doesn't sound oh, that's, like a human yes. sound, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's so clean and beautiful. And and lyric, but then she's also kind of belty and mixy. Like, it's yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Obsessed with her. Now, did you all go through Salt Lake City at some point? We did. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I knew that you were in Salt Lake City is because I woke up to see the Tabernacle Choir Sunday morning performance, and uh-huh. she guested on it. Yes, we were there, yeah. Did you go see it? Yeah, Which we, is we like, all went live. Like, butt freaking early in the morning. Yeah. And she's singing Sounding Glorious. I'm like, she yeah. had a show last night. Yeah. Then showed up for the dress rehearsal, which is like 7.30 in the morning, does the broadcast at 9, and then probably had a matinee afterward. Are you kidding yeah. me, Maureen McGovern? Yeah, and that was a crazy... I mean, hearing her with the choir oh, was, like, heavenly. Heaven. Honestly, yeah. I did a benefit with her in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and I uh, stopped her during 
like a rehearsal or whatever to say hi and introduce myself. And I said, I just want you to know that I have listened to you sing Days of Plenty on many occasions because I had to listen to you sing Days of Plenty. Yeah. It's another little match made in heaven that this show provided for us, which I'm super grateful for. Her on that song is just ridiculous. Okay, so now we've met everybody. Yes. What happens next? So Joe is at that age where basically society is telling her, you got to prep yourself for a man, right? Yeah. Uh, Which she isn't totally interested in doing. She is working for her aunt, Aunt March. Yeah, she's like her, uh, what is the word? I'm losing the word. Kind of like a companion or... A companion, that's it. I was like, she's her confidant, but that's not it. She's her companion. Yeah, she reads to her and... She's an older woman. And her aunt says, well, if you want to see the world, if you want the world to be as big as you hoped it would be, you Mm got to kind of play by the rules. So change who you are. And I, I find this whole idea so interesting. The fact that she wants to be a revolutionary, but in order to do it... You have you feel like you have to play the game, right? I mean, tale as old as time, right? For right. for women in the world, yeah. Now we can skip to the little Christmas party where Meg is hoping to you know meet a beau, and she does. Yes. And while at that party, Joe meets Lori. And how would you describe this this fella? Oh gosh, I mean the sweetest. The he's such a little ball of energy uh and he just i feel like he he and joe are so alike at that time like they both kind of just want to have fun and i don't know how do you describe Lori? he um, is he's kind of he's joe now yeah, that you mention like it i didn't think and about this but you're that's right why she likes him so much mm-hmm. and i think she thinks they want the same things which is why it's such a shock when it turns is I think she's like, Oh, you're a kindred spirit. We're on the same page. We're just going to have fun. We're going to live our lives. We're going to take over the world. Yeah. And yeah, I think that we as an audience get a little, we see that he's a little bit more interested in her, right? He has the great song. Take a chance on me. Oh, it's so good. And so there, there are seedlings there that he has feelings that he wants them to be partners in crime in a very real way. And she's kind of oblivious to it. So his, is it his uncle? His grandfather. His grandpa. Yeah. He's the one who, he's kind of a a mean next door neighbor. Yeah. Who Sweet Beth totally breaks through and is able to access because she plays the piano. And it's a, that, that little scene is just adorable. I I love that scene so much. Full body goosebumps. It is so sweet. What is it? Something off to Massachusetts. Yes. And I love that song. And gosh, the rhyme, the rhymes in that song. Like it's such a great little like parlor, parlor piece. Yes. Of the time for sure. We a shout out to Mindy. Yes, uh, Mindy Dickstein, who's wins for that song. Does, <laughs> Such a great song. Great work. Yeah. Great work, great Mindy. Song. Yeah. There, there are so many iconic things that happen in this story, and so many of them happen off stage. Unfortunately, yeah. like uh, Amy, of course, falls through the ice at one point. I actually want to say an interesting Please. thing about that. Um, so Robert Staddle, who played. Um, Grandpa Lawrence, um, who unfor- who we lost a few years ago, very sadly, oh. um, he is actually a, a very beautiful painter. And as a gift for all of us at the end uh, of the run, he painted for each of us a scene that our character had off stage. <gasps> so I have hanging in my room. He painted me, Amy, ice skating. No way. Um, so he painted its orchard house, and then there's a 
little pond and you see me in that costume skating with the scarf and everything. And I think that is, that's part of that is, yeah, there are so many major moments that we talk about, but we can't see because it's theater and you can't do that. But yeah, just to speak to that, I thought that was like a really special thing. I really do miss those moments though. And I wish we could figure out a way to present them theatrically because, and and they all have to do with your character too, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, The the ice thing, the uh, Amy burning Joe's manuscript, that... Well, that we do on stage. Oh, did you do that? Yeah, okay, that's, I totally forgot. Yeah, that's, My bad. Yeah, um, that was always such a, a crazy moment too because it's. I mean, yeah, it's, th- that'll turn an audience against you when you like yeah. burn the the lead character's prized yeah. most prized possession. Yes, for sure. Do you do you have like, do you have sibs? Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother. Okay, what was the worst fight you ever got in with your older brother when you were little? That's the thing we didn't re- we were we were four years apart and we didn't really fight. I feel like we just. I mean, when we were little, I guess there was a lot of like, "Don't touch my stuff." Sure, sure. But then, is I think he matured quickly enough that like there was nothing for us. <laughs> to fight about <laughs> so sibling rivalry isn't something that I like personally look Relate at to. And, and understand yeah and I remember that that was hard for me that's that burning and the tantrums were hard because I also what did not have a lot of I have a hard time accessing anger which is my own without baggage. reason yeah yeah without reason so I I remember struggling with that a lot and figuring out because it really felt like I was just imitating tantrums I'd seen because I didn't know what that, that feels feeling like. Ooh, and I didn't want it to be fake. And I ended up having a lot of vocal problems on the tour because <sighs> I don't know how to yell. And there, Amy doesn't sing that much, but she certainly does yell a lot. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't want it to sound like a singer yelling. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to feel full blown real, tantrum. And that's yeah, and that's how you relate to her is like she's hurting and that's, you know, she's really hurting when she's like, I, I burned it because I want my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I was being scoped in like every city. I, I oh, definitely shoot. had some, yeah, I just had vocal struggles. I was just figuring out how to balance that. Yeah, um, totally get that. Yeah, we totally got away from whatever we were. Oh, we were just, I, I took no, us on a No, no, but that's, that's based on what you said. I relate to that a little bit in my own way because I had different ways of fighting with different Siblings. Different siblings. Yeah. yeah. Like my older brother and sister, they were the most physical. I remember my brother would have like handprints on his back from my sister yeah. just like smacking yeah. him. They were the most yeah. physical. My brother and I were very like he he I I would try to get really cerebral with him. I remember uh-huh. at one point like I was trying to think of the meanest thing I could say to him, and it was during Desert Storm, and I was like, I hope Saddam Hussein <laughs> makes you Fighting his army, like I, I thought I, I like really hit the mark, and he's just like sitting there laughing at me. So, right. but like the different dynamics create different forms yeah. of fighting and rivalry, and for sure. And I could see how Amy and Joe just they have the most heated of all of them, right? Well, and I think I was thinking about this uh, as I was thinking about you know this conversation, and I think it's because they're actually very similar. Oh, probably. Um, You're I right. think they're both super passionate, mm-hmm. and it just manifests different differently. And I think Joe hates that she sees herself Ooh, in Amy. I bet that's confronting, right? right? Yeah, that it's like, oh, we're both driven. Um, and we both are so passionate and we both want what we want so deeply. And it's, so it's just like another side of the Joe coin. Yeah. You know? To see Amy and be like, oh, what makes you you is what's making yeah. me me. And I hate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. 
so Act One kind of ends. All of these little chapters <laughs> are happening. Yeah, and Amy's going off to Europe instead of Joe. So that's oh, that's right. She stole like full on Devil sold, Wears Prada yeah. style. Yeah, she sold her hair. Amy's going to Europe. Laurie L- proposes. Laurie proposes. So seemingly basically, out she's of like, nowhere. Yeah, she's like everything's messed up, and it's that's when she's like, all I have is my writing. I'm gonna write. Do you know what? I think it's the most interesting part of this character of Joe March, at least in the musical, because earlier on, she forces everybody to make a pact that no one's going to change. Yes. Right? And yeah. yet within her is this revolutionary spirit to be progressive and change. Yes. It's, yes. it's a dichotomy within her of, mm-hmm. I, want ev- I want life to be so much more, and yet I'm terrified of things not being the way they've always been. Yeah. Yeah. That's real and complex and beautiful. Yeah, it really is. She sings Astonishing at the end of mm-hmm. this, I guess, to to fuel her into where we saw her at the beginning of the show, which is to go to New York to leave her hometown and to make this writing thing come true. Yes. All right. It is intermission, and I have a completely different voice. <laughs> uh, sorry, everybody. It is cold and flu season. But since it is intermission at Little Women, I am thrilled to introduce and welcome a Joe March in her own right. She is the creator and owner of Scenery Bags, Miss Jen Khan. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much for having me! It is so good to see you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being uh, such a wonderful person in and outside of the theater. I I, uh, like you a lot. I like it. It's mutual. Very mutual. Miss you, friend. I miss you. So talk to me about Scenery Bags for those who may not know what your company is. So Scenery Bags takes retired theatrical materials and upcycles them into bags and accessories. A minimum of 10% of every purchase goes to TDF to take kids to see theater and introduce kids (gasps) to see theater. Okay, I didn't even know this. What is TDF? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Theater Development Fund. It's amazing. So I always knew that if I started my own company that I'd have to have some kind of like give back initiative. Um, Sure. And access to theater has always been a big like resting on my heart very, very hard. And I'm like, we're going to lose the next generation. It's It's so expensive. Like, who are we doing this for? Yeah. And then also like losing that generation's worth of stories to tell, you know? And so- I knew that I was like, okay, when I came up with the idea for scenery bags, I was like, it was like simultaneously was like, well, and we need to take kids to see theater. Like this mm. is, this is the, the the gap we need to fill right now. And in my naivety was like, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to start scenery bags. I'm going to start a nonprofit. I was like researching how to get buses to schools and transportation. Oh, wow. And my sweet pragmatic husband was like, why don't you just find a nonprofit that's already doing it and give them money? And I was like, okay, well, mm. that's that's too easy. And I don't do anything the easy way. <laughs> um, and so I did. I went to Google and said theaters or nonprofits in New York that take kids to see theater. And TDF was like one of the top of the list. And not only do they take kids to high school and junior high kids to see theater, they also go in and do like eight workshops with them. So they know the show they're seeing, they understand like theater etiquette and and what they're going to do. And they take some some, like acting workshop-y things. And then also, as long as the kids stay in New York, once they graduate the program, they get extremely discounted tickets to anything 
that is on TDF because TDF owns TKTS in Times Square, like the discount ticket booths. They're all the same nonprofit. Um, So they can get like tickets for $10. So not only does it introduce a whole group of of kids to, well, I keep saying kids, but students to see theater that may not have access to theater on their own, but it continues to allow them to be patrons of the arts forever. Mm. So they're really big on just accessibility in general for the arts. Oh, my gosh. And we're very happy to support them. My favorite thing that I've learned today. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I don't know how I didn't know about this. Um, Clearly, we don't talk about it enough. I think that that's that's good for me to know because it's a huge huge part of like, literally, I just kind of took everything I care about and like squished it into a company. It was like, there, this is my whole life makes sense. This is everything I care about. We're saving art from a landfill. We're giving people theater memories and we're introducing a new generation of theater. Like, there we go. I just uh, like my whole life makes sense now. You're basically Joe March at this point. Like <laughs> I'm and I'm not just trying to tie it into the hands. episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really really beautiful though. Did so this idea of turning scenery into accessories come from maybe your stage management background? It came from all all of who I am. It's very funny. I don't know if you know so I while we worked together I was also running a blog. Okay, I did not know this, but I did know, I do know that you're super chic, always, 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 like taste level super high. So I do know this, but you were blogging. Thank you, Fred. Um, It was my super duper secret from the theater world because (gasps) I was a stage manager and this was back in the day where like stage managers weren't allowed to be like fashionable and cool and have like a social media, like now it's trendy, like now it's like, okay, but then it was like the kiss of death. You're like, you oh, like, you're one of those. You, like, you're, you clearly aren't a serious stage manager if you have a fashion blog. <laughs> I had a fashion blog. Um, and so I had a blog that I ran for four years that was Give Back an Ethical Style. And, oh, cool. and it was just kind of like the balance of like wearing black in the dark backstage in theater and like this way to express creativity through style and and largely focused on fair trade, ethically made, eco-friendly style and a company that had some kind of a give back component. Mm. Um, And those were like these two halves of myself that I really didn't let intermingle at all. And then when I had this idea for scenery bags, it was like, oh, well, now my whole life makes sense. I've just married these two pieces of my heart that I've been fostering for the last decade. And here we go. And what was the first product that you guys made? Like, when did you know, okay, this is a thing. It's, it's, people are loving it. <laughs> um, I had this idea in 2015. And my first call was to one Mr. Brian Wells. Oh. Yes. For those of you who don't know, who didn't work at Starlight Musical Theater. <laughs> um, Brian. San Diego. San Diego, shout out San Diego Theater. Brian was a, a director turned, now he rents the sets. And so he has a ton of inventory of old tour sets that they rent regionally. Shout out to Music and Theater Company. If you need a set or costume rental, check them out. Um, But I called Brian, like literally the night I had this idea. And I was like, hey, uh, do you have any trash from your sets that you don't want that I can have? Um, And he's like, I love this idea. And you know, I don't throw anything away. Yeah. Come to the warehouse when you get back from your trip. So I did. And he gave me 600 pounds of drops from national tours and Broadway. And it sat in my parents' storage unit in San Diego, which I'm sure they thought 
they would never get rid of because of I am a serial entrepreneur. I My friends make fun of me that if I have any time off between shows while I was a stage manager, I would start at least one company. Like, this is just <laughs> what I do. Um, like so many, it's a, it's a problem. But I was just like, if I had free time, my brain just didn't stop. I'm like, okay, well, then now what do we do? Uh, then I finally had some like pockets of time that I was like kick the can down the road just far enough to like keep the ball moving forward. I found a manufacturer. They made a sample group of 25 bags and um, I put them up on our Instagram account. And that was it. We didn't have a website. I just put up on like scenery bags, Instagram that was followed largely by just like friends of mine. And um, we sold out in 48 hours. (gasps) And I was like, oh my gosh, people like this idea. Because I loved it, but I didn't know that everyone else would love it necessarily. Like you never know proof of concept until concept is proven. (laughs) And uh, so, and one of the people who was a huge champion of scenery back from the beginning was Krista Rodriguez, who I love and adore, Broadway's own and television's own. Um, Directly after the summer of 2015 is when I was able to work on the Broadway revival of the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening. And Krista was in it. And I told her about this idea and she loved it. And she's like, as soon as you have a bag, like I need one, I can sew. Do you need help? Like she's amazing. amazing. She's an amazing human on every level. And so she got one of the first bags she posted it on her Instagram. We got like a thousand new followers in a day, one of which was Rachel Bloom, who's the creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And she emailed me personally, like directly emailed me. was like, how do I get one of these bags? This is such a cool idea. I sent her a bag clearly. And um, knowing that she was going to get one, I start. I put up a website like in an afternoon Oh, and also I had a three-month-old at this point. Like the thing that oh afforded me time to work on the Jen. on the company was because I had a baby and I was home for but the first like, time. You had a baby. <laughs> I had a baby. Well, but like as a stage manager, I was never home ever. So and like you're like, oh my gosh, I have so much time. So much time. <laughs> well, and it's something like being a mother is the hardest job I've ever had, like bar none. Right. But at the same time, I was home. Sure. And so I could like rock or nurse my baby while I like type with one hand. And that's, that's how I started my company. I built a website in an afternoon. I had set up like a wait list on this landing page and like 200 people on the wait list. (gasps) And then our manufacturer in LA said, we're not going to be able to keep up. We're out. Um, which actually like in hindsight, that was such a gift for them to be honest with me and not pretend that they were going to be able to keep up and we'd all be in trouble. So Then I found a new manufacturer in Florida and sent them the sample. They're like, they said they could make it. I'm like, great, because we need to make like 200 tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and, I'm, and I sent them like the 600 pounds of drops from my pa- parents' storage unit. And then Upworthy, yes. the publication, they uh, messaged me on our Facebook page of all places. And we're like, this is really cool. We saw what you were doing through Rachel Bloom's post can we interview you for a feature? And I was like, yeah, you totally can. And so they did. And they said, it'll come out sometime in August. We'll let you know. Um, The morning of August 1st, the story drops on Upworthy. And I had no idea. And all of a sudden, like everything starts blowing up, like my phone, my computer. And I was like, what is happening? And I, so I went and found out the article had dropped 
ran to my computer. And in the time it took me to realize the article had dropped and get to my computer and change it over to a pre-order, we had 800 new people on the wait list. <laughs> and we sold 4,000 bags in 24 hours, pre-orders. Holy so cow. That was the moment I feel realized that this was a thing. Yeah. Concept was proven, but it was also <laughs> one of those like the most amazing and terrifying <laughs> days of my life. Like watching, I don't know if you remember that commercial where they're like, there's like the small business and they like start up and they see like the ticker move and like people are buying their products and then it goes and they like freak out. Like I was living that in real time. Oh my gosh. And then my shop in Florida got hit by Hurricane Irene, shut oh down. Oh my gosh. So it's one of the, like, I always tell, like, whenever I tell our story, like, August 1st, the article hit, and then mid-August, the, the hurricane hit. Like, it's important to tell the breadth of August as an entrepreneur that, like, this amazing thing will happen, and then the universe will test you and make you and fight to up. keep the amazing thing. Like, just yeah, yeah. keep moving forward, keep doing it. Uh, they got back up and running. I emailed everybody. By that time, we had 5,000 orders. And it took us till December of that year to fulfill all of them. And I think we had maybe five people cancel their order because they didn't want to wait. And everyone else stuck it out and wanted to be a part of what we were doing. And that was kind of like, then we've kind of been chased by that boulder ever since trying wow. to like create new things. And now we work with stage decks and we make them into jewelry. Uh, we work with like marketing banners and billboards so basically if anyone's like hey i have this trash that was from a broadway set or a theater set do you want it my answer is yes and then we figure out how to use it on the back end um so things will arrive and we're like what do we make out of you Mm, maybe a bracelet like we just like (laughs) just kind of and that's the fun of it like you're constantly creating new things which is cool now do you have any advice to women out there who may be listening and feeling their own, you know, Joe March drum within to create a business to uh, pave their way. Mm -hmm. Do it. I really, it's like, you got to just start um, and, and start. And then also find the people who are going to help you like get to your finish line, get to your next goal and tell them like, tell your cheerleaders first. And like, hopefully you have them. If you don't have them, like, DM me and I will be part of your cheer squad happily, like for real. Um, But like tell those people and don't tell anybody else your idea. Mm. Because when you tell everybody your good idea, it like releases serotonin levels in you that gives you like the pat on the back. Like, oh, because everyone's like, oh my gosh, the idea is so awesome. And then you feel like you've accomplished something and then you don't do the thing. Oh, interesting. And like it's scientifically proven that like telling a lot of people your really good idea leads to you never doing your really good idea. So tell the people who will champion you, like find your Christian Rodriguez who will ask you about it in the wings of the show you're doing and like, (laughs) you know, keep encouraging you to move forward and then stop at that circle. Use that energy to do and create. I will say being a, a female entrepreneur right now, there's such energy behind it that it's like not even about elevator down. It's like get in my car, uh, Mm. which is very cool, which is very cool. And also if there are any moms out there listening, it's never been easier for us because we can take our business with us in our phone. 
we can do our business from anywhere. Um, and that opens a lot of doors for us who are like, you know, I can manage my company while I'm waiting in car line to pick up my child or drop off my <laughs> child, you know, like rather than having to, in the olden times, be at an office somewhere, it really gives you flexibility. So it seems daunting and it is at times realistically daunting, um, but it's worth it and it's fun and it's doable. You just have to start. Wow. I am inspired. Another thing that I always tell new entrepreneurs is when you start, you will feel unqualified. You will, imposter syndrome, whatever it is, I have a degree, a BFA in stage management, and I'm running a fashion retail company. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, I, I did not go to school for this. I can't sew. I, I'm not a jeweler, but I care about it more than anyone else. And your passion qualifies you. Your passion qualifies you. Your passion gives you a seat at the table and a right to have a seat at the table. And it also means because you care the most, when you get yourself to a level where you know this isn't what I do best, you'll find the team you need. You'll find the lawyers, the accountants, the wise counsel. Like You will seek that out because you care the most. So fight through that moment of feeling unqualified. And it'll it's a roller coaster and you'll keep fearing finding that you're like every big threshold you cross, you'll feel unqualified to cross it and just keep tapping back to the fact that you are passionate about this. You care the most about this. So keep fighting for it. Oh, that's amazing. You're the one who cares the most. What a do. great rule. Oh my gosh. This has made <laughs> me so happy. This has given me so much uh, motivation and energy in my own life. I hope everyone feels the same. Thank you, Jen, for your uh, not only your great idea, the way that you're giving back in so many ways. And uh, can you tell us how to follow you and the and the company? Yes, scenerybags.com is the website. At scenerybags is our handle on all of the things. And I'm at Jen W. Con if you want to find me. But hey, for hey, real, hey. if you need cheerleaders, we're here because you can do it. I adore you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, everybody out there, if you need a last minute gift for this holiday or any time of year, please check out Scenery Bags. So act two begins and now we've kind of caught up. Now we're yes. going through time uh, uh, chronologically. Yes. And this is the longest musical sequence in the show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Talk to me about why you think that is. Why is this moment at the beginning of the second act in which all of the actors act out the story that Joe has finally been able to sell? Why is that so important? I wonder if it's just like, here's where she went. She went so hardcore because I think we want to see how far how far she had to come mm. to come back to herself. So it's like she went, there's a troll. There's a hag. There's <laughs> Guess, who the every... troll. Guess who's playing the troll, by the way? Yeah. I mean, so fun. what a great, what a great idea. It was so much fun to be the troll. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just to show how far she went with it. It's like she put everything into the story and she put everything fantastical and everything that has nothing to do with anything real it makes it that much more crushing when you do this whole long thing and then the professor's like, I don't like that. <laughs> and it's like, we've just done a full epic, like Lord of the Rings style musical number uh, with the whole cast on stage. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then from a visual storytelling place, you see what the answer to the problem is, which is yeah. 
underneath it all is her family. Underneath yes. all of this storytelling is hidden the fact that the real story has been yeah. by her side and in her house. Yes. All along. By the yes. way, Orchard House, which is the We went. Did yeah. you go? Yeah. I just I had Boston. no idea that it existed and then I saw yeah. it online. When we played Boston, we went and there we did some kind of like event there. Oh, um how yeah, cool. that was very special. He basically challenges Joe to try again, right? To yeah. try harder. Yeah. She learns that Beth is sick and mm-hmm. so she leaves New York, goes back home. And uh, Beth has contracted scarlet fever. Mm-hmm. And as is the case, I think, for most things in this time period, they think that like by taking them to the beach that they'll get some fresh yeah, air. The sea air. Yeah, yeah, this is always good for you. And mm-hmm. so Joe takes her there. And I so relate to this question that Joe is always asking, which is give me a task to do. Yeah, I love it. Tell me to do something, please, because I just yeah. want to make this better. Yeah. And Beth just basically says, well, the only thing you can do is let me go because that's what I've had to do. Yeah. It's so real and so sweet. And that song is just like perfect. Once again. It's so perfect. And all she wants, she's like, I'm you, you're you're me. All I want is for you to go be amazing. She's like, that's what you can do for me is you can keep living and you can go be amazing because like I know you can be. Yeah. And a little bit later when Marmy backs that up with the amazing days of plenty, it's it's doing that same thing, which is if you want to honor the people who have passed on before you, then live life to its freaking fullest. Yeah. Because that's all that Beth Yeah, that's how you honor Beth. That's what she wanted, it's what she would want. Yeah. You can't fall apart. Yeah. That's why I always think it's funny when like if you're going through a hard time and someone's like, well, if it makes you feel any better, my car broke down. And I'm like, why would that make me feel better? Right. That something bad happened to you. Exactly. That makes me feel worse. <laughs> so, you know? So the world just sucks in general. Awesome. Yeah. And I have that. I mean, I, I deal. Grief is like the name of the game. I am constantly dealing with grief. I'm currently like in trauma therapy, like confronting oh. grief. It's, you know, and it's a, it changes and grows. Of course. And I know when people talk about... I'll, I do have friends who will be like, oh, I'm so mad at my mom right now. And then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. You're a human being. Like, you're allowed to be mad at your mom. You know, yeah. we all, it's its its own thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, it doesn't mean that we don't have empathy, right? No. But it means, like, the truer definition of empathy is that we go through it together. What, yeah. And just do it authentically. There's space yeah. for everybody. Yes. And everyone's experience. And, and by living them more fully, I think we support everyone in the process in their own yes. their own stages of whatever they're going through. Agreed. And this show really demonstrates that beautifully. Yeah. Um, plot twist, Amy comes back from Europe. And mm-hmm. while she was there, uh, <laughs> saw Lori. And now they're getting married. Yeah, and that's another thing, I guess, that happens offstage that we get the luxury of seeing in the movies, that sure. we get to see him kind of courting her. And, and this, yeah, does kind of like, oh, they're together now. Um, I do love the song, though, because they don't explicitly say, like, we are really nervous about telling you this, but, but the way that the it's music. written. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're it's stumbling. The they're and they're adorable together. Yes. So I think that make that gives you peace. That like because I think initially you'd be like they're together. That yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. But then you see how precious they are together, and they're finishing each other's sentences, and that's why I love that. There we were in Venice in a gondola in Venice when she suddenly and then he falls out of the boat, and it's adorable, totally. and you're okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Does it mean that we don't wish Joe and Laurie ended up together? No. But like no. that's life, people. Yep. And but that is, I think, that is like we said, that's what's revolutionary about a marriage. She kind of had sworn she'd never get married, and then she finds a marriage that makes sense for her. Which is a really great juxtaposition to Laurie. If if Joe is Laurie, then what Joe needs right. is someone who's just giving her space to be Joe. Exactly, exactly. And what Professor Bear ultimately says in this really sweet metaphor, I don't know if it comes from the book or not, but if it's raining outside and all we have in common is the umbrella, then let the umbrella be the fact that we love each other. Yeah. Ah. Right? (laughs) So cute. Yeah. And profound. Um, The only thing that we skipped over was Fire Within Me, which feels like the ending of the show. Honestly, it does. right? Yes. Everything yes. that we've just discussed about her, you know, finally realizing mm-hmm. that Professor Bear is a, a great match is more of an epilogue. For sure. It's the moment she realizes that the story she needs to write is her family's. It's it's her story. And it's it's a trope. I mean, this is something we see even having just watched Tick, Tick, Boom, mm. uh, which I, I don't know if you've seen yet. Mm. Um, but the whole like write what you know. Yeah. You know, that's what people want. Yeah. People want to see your heart and not see your fantastical, you know, stories about the future or, you know, witches and hags. People want to see something they can relate to. The fire within me, though, is is I like it even more than astonishing, to be yes. honest. Me too. It's my favorite song. I've wanted to sing it like in concerts before, but it's just so hard because it has the whole section of like, there's like a scene inside of yeah, it. Yeah, you're pointing um, out the different set pieces and things. Yeah, but man, it's a great song. And her, when she pulls, there's those few moments when she pulls the drop cloth off and then when she pulls that shell out and that's when the Beth motif comes back. You hear the little and something. Something's on mm-hmm. Yeah, just, ugh. It's just so good. It's so good. So satisfying. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's got to be really great as joe to have an arc so oh yes so beautifully crafted i mean i i still i'm getting too old for any of this but i still <laughs> dream of playing joe i mean that's the that's the one you get to live the whole thing you yeah. live a whole life and then and even like the way she's dressed by the end she's in morning clothes you know she's mm. in like the all gray she's gone from being this tomboy in pants to being you know this woman with her hair up wearing you know dark somber clothing and wow. she's this totally she's a woman yeah. that she swore she'd never be you know yeah as we swear we'd never be yeah right well look i gotta say i loved this episode <laughs> i'm so glad <laughs> thank you so much for talking through this with me it's uh there there's so much here and i i kind of expected that we would be able to talk about some profound things but i don't think i had i, I was not prepared so thank you. Um, thank you. This was so much fun for me to to talk about this. I mean, it just feels like another chapter of my life, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. As yeah. I'm sure there will be many more and I can't wait to see them. Oh, thanks. As always, if you have shows you'd like to recommend we cover here on a musical theater podcast like our friend Jacob... 
please email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at amusicalpodcast. We're also on TikTok. We have a tea public store where you can buy great shirts like the one I am wearing now. You also can subscribe to Patreon exclamation point for only $1 a month in which you'll receive exclusive episodes and bonus materials. I'm really excited about some of the ones that we have coming up in the new year. Um, hey, Miss Gwen, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Um, so I'm on Instagram and my handle is Gwenstagram811. Smart, um, smart. I'm, thank you. I'm on TikTok, but I don't ever post except for when I sing songs with Cassie Silva. Um, so you, honestly, anything I do is probably going to end up on Cassie's TikTok. 100%. <laughs> Plugging <that>. Cassie Silva. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then the f- Facebook, but who does that anymore? No. Gwen, you are a delight. Thank you so, so much. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Are you? Did you do Hanukkah this year? Um, we kind of no, I didn't do it. <laughs> it sneaks up on you. It, was it really does. early this year. It was like Thanksgiving, and then it was Hanukkah. Well, that is that is really difficult. The calendar it does not help with Hanukkah. It doesn't help, and I, I mean, I never super celebrated it anyway. I enjoy it. It's, sure, it, we, you know, we put a Christmas tree up, and we're kind of just, I kind of just celebrate the season. Love it. Enjoy yeah. that season, please. Yeah, it's festive. Yeah. Hey, everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. And remember, you know what? Be astonishing. Yeah, at least. Or astonishing. Be astonishing, Christopher Columbus. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.